All right, for our scripture reading today, it comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. This is found on page 812 in the Pew Bible. If you don't own a Bible, please take one as a gift from us. So again, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29, page 812. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished, finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, and let me just add my welcome to Jake's. We're so glad that you're here. My name is Bill Gorman, and I serve as the campus pastor here at the Brookside campus, and um, I, when I came in this morning, uh, our associate pastor, Paul Brandis, was saying to me that if there was a presidential candidate who was running solely on the platform of doing away with daylight saving time, that he would, he would vote for that person. So um, first service was much, much smaller uh, than this one. So thanks for, for coming out. If you slept in, it's great. We're glad you're here. So um, let's begin with, uh, with prayer before we uh, look at this passage together that Jake read for us. Father in heaven, um, I pray that this morning that we would, would do what Jesus has called us to do in this text, that we would hear your words and that we would do them. Would we be the kind of people who are building our house on the rock, um, that we would hear your words and actually put them into practice in our lives? Would, would your spirit enable us to do that this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it happened two years ago. And we were uh, in the car driving, and as we were doing that, uh, a convoy of storm-chasing vehicles passed us, uh, going in the same direction. It's something you never want to happen, uh, to have storm-chasing vehicles passing you when you're driving down the highway headed in the same direction. And we were on our way from Kansas City to Scottsdale, Arizona on vacation. It was two Mays ago, and Lucy, our daughter, was like five months old. It was our first big family trip. And, uh, and we were driving through kind of the barren expanses of far western Kansas. And low, dark clouds, the swirling little kind of funnels that were occasionally dipping down, uh, and then the convoy of storm-chasing vehicles passing us made it clear there was a storm that was coming. And one of the things that Jesus is making the point for each one of us this morning in this passage as he concludes the Sermon on the Mount is that every one of us, for every one of us, there is a storm coming. For each of us, there is a storm that will shake us, that will break us, that will leave us completely stripped bare. It's not a matter of with, if that storm comes, but when. Because there is a storm that's going to come. And when the storm hits, what will you do? What will be left? Because sure, like we did that day in the car, you can drive a little bit faster, kind of get out of the path of the storm. You can maybe avoid a few of the storms in life, but there will come a day when you can't avoid the storm. Because in a world that is as broken as ours is, there will come a storm one day that will break you, 
And, and maybe if you have enough money, you might be able to withstand it for a little bit. Or if you have enough, the right kind of doctors or lawyers or therapists or friends, you might be able to survive for a while. But eventually, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, those things will eventually run out. And you will stand before God, and a storm will rage like no other, and then what will be left? What will be left of your house then? Because when you're buying a home, the most important thing, right, is, is the foundation. It's where the home inspectors start. They make sure the house has a solid foundation. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how much you love the floor plan or the, the kitchen or the, the bathrooms. If, if the foundation of the house isn't right, then, then the rest of it doesn't matter. If you've bought an older home or in the process of, of buying an older home in this area, Waldo, Brookside, Leewood, Overland Park, these older areas of our city, you, you know how important getting someone to look at that foundation is. The place has been standing for 80 years. It's no guarantee that it will continue to stand for the next eight weeks if that foundation has begun to crack. And it's why we have codes and building regulations, right? Because no one wants an architect or an engineer or home inspector just to sort of follow their heart, to, to be true to themselves. No, we, we want a house that's built on the right foundation to the right regulation so that it can withstand the forces that come against us. And yet, as we look at our actual lives, we don't always do that. And the reality is that you are building your life on something Everyone's building on something. And whether you're a Christian or not, your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations, your career, your security, your comfort, you're building those on something. And you might look okay now. In fact, I would imagine a lot of us here this morning look pretty good. But when the storm comes, the foundation will be exposed. And what will keep it from falling? This morning, as Jesus wraps up his most famous teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount, this is one of his most well-known blocks of, of teaching anywhere, he concludes with this really powerful point because he knows that everyone is building on something. But what he says is shocking because he actually says, you see, there are really only two foundations, only two things that you can build your life on. There's either me or there's not me. That's what Jesus says. There's Jesus or not Jesus. Those are the only two foundations that he says exist. And so this morning as he walks us through these, these final parts of the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to show us that the right foundation is inside out, that the right foundation is indestructible, and that the right foundation is him, it's Jesus. So the right foundation, it's inside out, it's indestructible, and ultimately it's him. Jesus implores us here at the end of his sermon to look at the foundation. What are you building on? All, all the verbs even in this passage, are, they're, they're singular verbs. You, each of you, need to look at the foundation. What are you building your life on? First we see that the right foundation is inside out. So look again at verse 24 here in chapter 7. Here in this verse, Jesus uh, again returns to a theme that he's been constantly going to throughout the sermon, this theme of, of looking the part without actually being the part, of looking the part without actually doing what he's called you to do, sort of pretending but not really obeying. So listen again to verse 24. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them Everyone who hears these words of mine and 
does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You see, uh, hearing and doing, those two things have to go together. If you just look the part, but you aren't actually doing what Jesus says, you, you end up as a, as a hypocrite, as an actor. Remember, we, we said a while back in this sermon series that, that being an actor, it's great if you're in a movie or you're in a play. It's, it's perfect. It's great. But being an actor in life, it's disastrous. It's catastrophic. And it's easy for us to look good on the outside but sort of be rotten and gross on the inside, which is why the right foundation always begins on the inside out. Because it doesn't matter how good your house looks if it's built on the wrong foundation. Again, that's why home inspectors start with the foundation. I remember growing up, uh, I grew up in the St. Louis area, and there's this house on, on Barrett Station Road in St. Louis that we would drive by often just in the course of our, our day-to-day lives. And whenever we would buy, drive by this house, my dad would almost always comment on it. It was this kind of big old house, and it was built out of stone, a lot like this building, these big, huge stones. And he would always say something like, oh, I'd love to live in a house like that. It's this house built out of stone that just seems so secure. But even this really solid stone house, a building like this one, if it's built on the wrong foundation, if it's built over a sinkhole, it's, it's no good. I, uh, not long ago, actually watched an entire documentary on sinkholes um, because I guess I'm just the kind of person who would do that, watch a documentary on sinkholes. Someone said at the first, I didn't know they made documentaries on sinkholes. They do. Uh, They're out there. And this is actually a major problem in Florida, Tennessee, some other parts of the U.S. and the South where the geology makes it prone to these sort of unexpected, unpredictable sinkholes. It's, it's really hard even to get insurance against these kind of things because they're so unpredictable what will happen. And it, and it didn't matter how beautiful that house was. When that sinkhole opened up underneath of it, when the foundation went bad, it was all over. And Jesus' point is just that, that even a stone house built over a sinkhole, built on a sandy foundation, is pointless. It doesn't matter how good your life is on the outside, If on the inside you're you're full of anger or bitterness or lust or envy or lies or revenge or unfaithfulness, if if those are the things that are on the inside, it doesn't matter how good the outside looks. So beware of looking the part. Because you see, the contrast in the Sermon on the Mount is not between religious people and irreligious people. It's not what Jesus is saying. You need to be more religious and stop being so irreligious. Jesus is not drawing that contrast. In fact, Jesus seems to really know only one sort of kind of category of people. There's either people who are following him or or there's sort of everyone else. That's why Jesus gets so ticked so often with the religious leaders in these contexts because not only have they fooled everyone else, they've also fooled themselves. They think that they're good enough. And if you actually believe you're good enough, then why would you ever need a savior? Jesus is not looking for more religious people. He's looking for people who follow him alone, who build their life on him completely. And it's not that our behavior, our appearance doesn't matter. Because clearly Jesus says here, hear my words and do them. Our behavior really does matter. But it begins with what's unseen. It begins with the foundation. It begins with what's on the inside. So how often do you pretend? 
do we pretend? Do you even know when you do it? Because after a while, if you've pretended long enough, you can deceive yourself. And what happens when no one else is looking? What happens when you, when you have time completely by yourself? Where does your mind wander? What do you go to? In, in my life right now, those moments are really rare, rare with a young family. But if there ever is a moment where I'm at home and, and Lucy and Rachel aren't there, where does my mind go? Does it, do I want to grab the laptop and immediately start working? Do I just want to watch TV, maybe some more documentaries and sinkholes? And, but where, where does my mind go when I have a little bit of time that's just not committed to anyone else? Where does it go? Are you a different person at work than at home, at school than at youth group? What about when you walk here at church or walk into your community group? Which you shows up in those spaces? Because a storm is coming. Your foundation, it's going to be revealed. The real you will be shown. And when the storm hits, only the right foundation is indestructible. Everyone's building somewhere, but there's only one foundation that's indestructible. Everyone, all of us are building somewhere, but there's only one foundation that's indestructible. And it's clear in the metaphor, right? This is the point that Jesus is making with this metaphor in the text, that there's two options, the sand or the rock. The, the sand is for fools, the house that will fall, and the rock is for the wise, the house that keeps standing no matter what storms are thrown at it. But here's the thing, that the sand can look so good, it can look so secure, and that's why Jesus is so stark, so vivid here, because the sand is really foolish, but so often it doesn't look foolish. It actually looks like a nice, clear place to build. And that's the thing, the sand that Jesus is talking about, the sand that's anything else but him, Often it's really good things. It's not that the sand in and of itself is, are bad things. They just aren't indestructible things. So if you build your house, if you build the, your life on career, what happens when you lose your job? You get passed over for a promotion or, or don't make as much money as you think you deserve? Or when you take that role that, that you thought you'd love, but now the work is, is overwhelming and, and you're anxious all the time. You see, you see, in work, success goes to your head, but failure goes to your heart. Or, or what about family? And so many of us, myself included, try to build our foundation, build on this foundation of family. We, we work desperately to try to earn the approval of our parents or to sort of defy our parents, right? To, to I'm never going to be like them. But either, in either one of those scenarios, by the way, whether you're working to, to desperately get your parents' approval or, or to say, I'm never going to be like them, in both cases, your parents are the ones that's really in control of your life. They are causing your decisions, shaping who you've become. Or maybe you want to start a family of your own. You want to find a spouse or have children or expand your family, have a second or third or fourth child. But what happens when your parents die, your spouse leaves you, or you never find one in the first place, or the longed-for child never comes due to miscarriage or infertility? Or the child you do have gets sick or rejects you or makes terrible choices. See, family will fail at some point. 
It's a good thing it's not an indestructible thing. Same thing with money, right? Money's a good thing. And when things are good, money's great. But what about when the market begins to dip? Where you're upside down in your home or, or a car, where you begin to be buried in debt and adjustable rate mortgage that jumps up, right? Money can crush you. Or, or if you build on, on reputation or integrity, what happens when you're slandered or insulted or lied about? The slightest insult will kill you. A, a difficult relationship doesn't just hurt, it, it actually makes you angry and you have to work overtime all the time on, on your personal PR. Or worse, what if you've built your life on integrity and reputation and then you yourself have a failure of integrity? And you sort of quietly and desperately hope that no one will find out living in fear of a moment when someone will. What else could we add to this list of foundations other than Jesus? How smart we think we are, or beautiful, or talented, or or sexuality, or security, or rights, power, success, romantic love. You name it, and we can build our lives on it brick by brick on a foundation of sand. And I think what scares me the most here is that often we don't even know we're building on these other foundations until it's too late, until a storm comes. And by then it is too late. So, so please, if, if anything in response to this message, at very least, I hope you assess where you've been building. And again, whether or not you're a Christian this morning, whether you consider yourself a church person, ask, what am I building my life on? What are the things that, that are that, that bedrock that I'm looking to anchor my life in? And what are the implications of building on that? And, and do that before it's too late. Because the storms begin to reveal cracks. They be, reveal leaks. Because if you were to come over to my house, my basement looks dry <laughs> until it starts to rain. And then all those tiny little hairline cracks in the floor and the ceiling, little bits of water start to come in. See, it doesn't matter how good your life looks when things are going well. It doesn't matter how great my basement looks during dry weather. It's when it rains that you see what it's really made of. Because you can build a great house on the sand while it's dry. In fact, this is probably some of what Jesus is calling to mind for his listeners as they are, he's giving the sermon to a crowd gathered on sort of the hills above the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee where many of his listeners would have been very familiar with. During the hot, dry summer months, the sand would get this sort of baked hard layer. And it, it seems like a solid foundation, But the first time that gets wet with a heavy rain, it turns into this totally shifting, failing, soft, unstable thing. So look for the symptoms. You know, if your foundation is beginning to fail in your home, you notice there might be a hairline crack in the ceiling or in a wall or a stair-step crack in the brick. Where do you see those in your life? Things that might say, my foundation has a problem. Maybe it's lust or greed or anger or fear that you just can't seem to shake. Or maybe it's selfishness or unforgiveness and and it's tearing apart your marriage or your relationships. Every sin is a symptom that there's something wrong with the foundation. Every time you say, I can't or I won't obey Jesus, that's a symptom, that's a crack. 
Pastor Tim Keller points out that part of what it is to glorify God is to obey Him unconditionally. To obey Him unconditionally. And every time we say to Him, I'll obey if, what we're doing in that moment is we're actually giving something else more importance, more glory than God in our lives. So if you say to God, I'll obey if you heal me, or if you give me a spouse, or if you get me a job, what you're really saying is that my health, my relationships, my career, that's more important to me than God. That those things actually have more glory, more satisfaction for me. And that, God, you're really ultimately just a means to getting me to the end of what I ultimately want, which is a career or health or a relationship. It's only a means to getting to a foundation that is destructible and won't last. We've got a glory in him, the one who will last forever. So what are those symptoms telling you? Where are you building Is there someone in your life who can ask you the question, or you can ask the question, where do you see me building? Is there someone you're close enough to who you can say, tell me honestly, where do you see me building my life? What, What foundation? Because every one of these other foundations, no matter how good they are, they will die. They won't last. They they can't last. And, and, and think about it this way. Even imagine if you could get them to last for a while. Let's say you really did build your life on career or on family, and, and you managed to make it through all of your life with that thing not being, you have the, the dream career. You only ever get promoted to a job that you love more. That's your whole life. Or you only have the, the perfect family. Your kids uh, grow up, they don't have any health problems, and they, they get into the best schools, and they're married, and grandkids. You, you somehow imagine that you get through life building on one of those foundations with no storms coming Obviously, that's a a dream world. All of us have storms that hit those things. But imagine if you just were able to do that. There still is a storm that's coming that none of those things can withstand. That's the, the storm of death. It's a storm that every one of us will face at some point. Family, career, they 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 crumble in the face of death. Who survives the storm of death? Nothing. No one does. In the Bible, the, the image of the storm, if you kind of read through and look at all the ways that the imagery of storm is used in the Scriptures, um, it's used in a lot of different ways, but two of the primary ways, it's used as a picture of God's judgment and also of kind of God's ultimate enemy, death. The ultimate storm that you and I will stand before is the storm of of God himself. Foundations exposed, nothing left to hide, no way to fake it, and then what? Because no foundation withstands death. None save one, and that's the foundation of Jesus. See, he's going to defeat the grave. He has defeated it, and he will defeat it for you. Yes, he will die in the most terrible storm on the cross, and he will be stripped bare in place of all those who believe and trust him, and yet he will walk out of the grave. And so Jesus can say, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when you've built your house on the rock of Jesus, this is what he says, and then the rain fell, the floods came. Notice he says, the rains fell. They're, they're going to come. The rains fell. The flood came. The winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. 
If our foundation is indestructible, we don't have any life to fear. It's not that there aren't things that cause anxiety or worry or fear in life, but ultimately we don't have anything left to fear if our foundation is indestructible. But if we built on the wrong foundation, that is any other foundation besides Jesus, we have everything to fear. And there will come a moment when it's too late to build on him. Because Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Sand that might have looked so solid, so strong, so stable. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And great was the fall of it. Only one foundation is indestructible. So build there. The right foundation is Jesus. That's it. And that's Jesus' point. I am it. He's the only one that you can build on. There's only two choices. There's him and there's not him. And if we miss him, we miss everything. And and Jesus making this statement, and this is one of the most controversial things that Jesus, or if you think about it, any person could ever say, right? And it's actually talk like this that's ultimately going to get Jesus sent to the cross by the religious establishment. Because you can't just say that Jesus is a good teacher in this moment. You can't do it. Because if you just say he's a good teacher, he's the most arrogant, self-centered teacher who's ever lived, right? There are a lot of good teachers out there. Pastor Tom's a good teacher. Pastor Paul here, Anthony, they're good teachers. Tim Keller's a good teacher. None of them ever says, I'm the only way to life. And believe me, if you know them, you know they're not Jesus. Right? Because no one, no one makes that claim, right? No one says, I'm the only way. You have to build your life on me or nothing else. That's an incredibly arrogant, incredibly self-centered statement, one that someone who's just a good teacher would never make. A good teacher would point you to the true, would point away from themselves, right? Hopefully that's what, what every one of us is doing here each morning when we stand up and teach the Scriptures and say, look, I'm not the foundation. You've got to find it here. You've got to find it in Jesus, but Jesus says, I'm the one. You can't just call Jesus a good teacher. So it's no wonder that Matthew concludes this section of the Sermon on the Mount with these words. He says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. No one says this kind of thing. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Not as their scribes as a tension point. We're going to see that developed over the course of the book of Matthew again and again and again. So Jesus says, build your life here. Build it on me. I'm the rock, Jesus says. That's his point. Hear these words and do them. Build your foundation. Build your life on the foundation of me. And the word rock, again, this idea, this picture of a rock is used in a lot of different ways throughout the pages of Scripture. But most often it's associated with God as either the secure foundation or as a stronghold, as as an obstacle against evil. 
and evildoers. Jesus says, I'm the refuge, I'm the foundation, I'm the place that if you come and you find and hide yourself inside of me, inside of who I am, that nothing will be able to touch you. He says, do whatever you have to do to get to me, for I'm the only foundation that lasts. And when you do that, though, let me just, let me just tell you, let me just warn you that Jesus isn't going to do a little remodel on your house. He isn't just going to add a little paint, maybe clean the carpets. No, he's, he's going to tear down walls. He's going to redo foundations, and it's going to hurt, but he intends to make a place, a palace for he to, himself to come and live in, built on the solid foundation of himself, a palace that will last, that will be able to sustain anything because it's on the right foundation. So what does it look like to build on the foundation of Jesus? What begins with faith, it begins with desperate dependence to say, everything else I've tried to do keeps slipping out from under me because it's just sand. It starts with dependence and trust. Only faith can save us. There's nothing we can do to earn it. Nothing. It begins with faith. But faith always changes us, and, and that's obvious in Jesus' words. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, obedience, Jesus wants you to trust him enough to obey him. He wants you to trust him enough to obey him. Faith comes first, but, but it never comes alone. It takes a lot of faith to obey. If you were here last week, you may remember we talked about this idea of the five love languages and this idea that there's these kind of five primary ways that people um, can give and receive love. And we talked about the fact that Jesus' love language is ultimately obedience. I mean, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. If you want to show Jesus how much you love him, do what he says. That's what he tells us. But here's what we so often do as Christians. And Francis Chan, who's a pastor out in California, describes it like this. He says, if Jesus says something, as Christians, we often think, I don't have to do it, I just have to memorize it. So imagine if I were to say to Lucy, or if you, if you have kids, you're saying to your, your, your kids, okay, go clean your room. And then an hour later, they come back and they, they say, Dad, I, I did what you asked. I, I memorized, go clean your room. And actually, I'm so excited about it. I'm actually going to get some friends together later on, and, and we're going to get together, and we're going to have like a study on what it would look like if, if I clean my room. And Jesus says, just, just obey, just do it. We forget that's what he really wants. Just do what I say already. Actually obey me. Hear what, I, what I'm calling you to do and obey. And, and it's not arbitrary, it's not capricious, but so often we fall into this trap of, well, I, I've memorized this passage, or I get together with my community group, my Bible study, and, and I'm learning a lot about this book. And Jesus has said over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says it so clearly here, that it's those who hear and do that have the solid foundation. Those who hear and do not do, they've built on the sand. And Jesus' main point isn't that if you don't obey, you'll be punished. It's that if you ignore him, your life will eventually crumble, crumble around you. You see, the cost of following Jesus is high. It is. Don't let anyone tell you that it's easy. The difficulty of obedience is extreme. But the cost of building on anything else is catastrophic. 
The cost of discipleship is high. The cost of non-discipleship is catastrophic. And as hard as it is to follow Jesus, the alternative is harder still because you'll end up crushed under the weight of your own house. So we don't just obey him for him. We obey him for us because he knows how we were created to live. He knows that the best life is the generous life. He knows that, that sex is best in the context of a true committed relationship. He knows that the human success and approval will never actually satisfy us. He knows that we'll be restless until we find our rest in him. You see, Jesus is not only our rock, but he's the one who goes into the storm for us. He receives the storm of God's wrath, and in so doing, he defeats the greatest enemy, the storm of death. And, and listen, here, if you're here this morning and you, you don't believe in Jesus, you're not yet a Christian, maybe you don't even want to be here, maybe you came with a spouse or a friend. Here's the thing, Jesus will let you not believe in him. He gives you the right to reject him. But the storm is coming. Darkness is coming. And what then? Everybody's building on something. Everyone's building on something. Don't wait for the storm to find out what you've really built your life on. It was at our recent baptism service that I first heard Kristen's story. She's part of our Olathe campus, and by her own confession, uh, she was there because the storms had destroyed everything. And it happened many times before, too many times, but this time she knew she just couldn't go back. She knew she actually had a foundation problem, not just a house problem. She was ready to build somewhere else, so let's watch. tell you my story without all the gritty details, just imagine my life as a house. I've had my house destroyed in the past many times. Each time there were warnings, I ignored them. I thought I could control the situation myself. And once my house was destroyed, I would rebuild. I'd use my existing foundation because I had built it and believed it was strong. I'd use the same old pieces of wood and nails to build my home, always better than the last time and always a nice fresh coat of paint. But on November 3rd, I came home to a hole. My house was just gone. No warnings, no foundation to rebuild on. I wanted to climb to that hole and die. But Jesus sent my family to tell me I was strong. And I was called to church that following Sunday. I didn't know what I expected, but I got something I never imagined. heart for helping others and loving on others it's just unending and it just I see Christ in her all the time I'd really like to just say we um, your mom and I are very proud of you we've got to see her Why would you like to be baptized today? To show people that I put my 
work in your life. I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Ben, who is Jesus? Uh, Jesus is God's Son. Um, he dedicated his life uh, to a perfect life so that I may defeat death. And why do you want to be baptized today? I want to be baptized as a dedication to, to Christ and that I can follow in his footsteps. Um, and Izzy, can you tell us why you want to be baptized? Um, because I want to be with God more. Thanks so much, Ellie. Well, on the basis of that profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the likeness of Christ. Death. Grace to new life. selfishly and ready to devote my life to Christ. Awesome. Well, Casey, on the basis of your profession of faith in Jesus, um, I baptize you in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in Christ's death, raised new life. Personally, I just feel like I've kind of lived with one foot in and one foot out, and I'm just ready to fully commit to what God has for us and to fully commit to raising our kiddos in His ways. Awesome. Okay, we'll stand the first Okay, ready? Three, 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 three. It's the next step in our faith journey. We love Jesus and we'd like to live like He would like us to. Awesome. because I love Jesus and I want to take this next step in faith and commitment to it. Such story is an amazing one of coming to faith in Jesus. And so we're um, on the basis of your profession of faith as we've talked, we want to baptize you in So um, we baptize you in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the likeness of Christ's death. Raise to new life. Baptizing the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of Christ's death. Baptism, it's, it's such a vivid picture of, of giving up all of those other foundations to build our life on the one true foundation of Jesus. This sifting, shifting sand that we've, we've tried to build our life on the past, now saying in baptism, I'm placing my life on the rock.